This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Pour yourself a cold one. They strike him, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft. Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's number one rated sports book app. By the way, you can bet on the draft, and we will be doing that over the course of the next couple months if you are so inclined. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years, including, yes, teammates with Tom Brady in New England for a short time, parts of two years till I got traded to Cleveland. He's pretty good. He won a seventh Super Bowl, which is just unfathomable at this point. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL on social media. All of the shows, the highlight clips, etc., can be found at Ross Tucker Pod. We love those of you that rate and review the show, that take advantage of any of our sponsors. Absolutely love those of you who subscribe to our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. Great way to watch the shows. Very fired up about this podcast, the College Draft Podcast, for a number of reasons. But first and foremost, it's draft time. It's off-season time. The season is officially over, which means it is Emory Hunt's Time to shine. Emery, of course, can be found on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. You can check him out on YouTube, Football Game Plan on YouTube. And then, of course, the key is, and this is coming out in a few weeks, his draft guide that we love. I can't wait to get my hands on mine. FootballGamePlan.com slash 2021 draft guide. That's footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. You got to love it, Emery. I mean, Super Bowl ended last night. Here we are Monday morning. We, we are fully into off-season draft mode at this point. Yep. Turning the proverbial page on the 2020 season and ready to kick off draft season, which should be a fun and interesting one this year. We talked about it before, but I'm excited to see it all play out how it's going to all play out. Yep. So remember a couple of things. One is it's going to be a truly unique off season uh, with no real combine, you know, pro days will be a little bit different. So you're going to want to make sure you have a go-to podcast that breaks down the top prospects at every position and some sleepers, by the way. And I'm really excited because today we're going to do two things. We are going to number one, talk to Emery about last night's Super Bowl and look at it from a scouting lesson perspective. We obviously talked about it a little bit last week going into the game. But now that we watched it, what are some of the other takeaways that we have from pro football in 2021 and what teams need to keep in mind 
when they are scouting top prospects or any prospects for that matter. We also are going to find out a lot more about Emery's specific process. This is really important. A lot of other podcasts, a lot of other people don't do this. We're going to really break down what it is that Emery does when he's evaluating these players before he does his write-up on them. Really, really looking forward to it. Again, he's at F-Ball Game Plan on Twitter. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. All the shows are at Ross Tucker Pod. YouTube is YouTube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. So, Emery, by the way, Emery, where are you today? You're in a different place. Yeah, I'm in Atlantic City. I've been here since Thursday uh, covering, you know, the Super Bowl for CBS Sports HQ. They had me at uh, Tropicana Casino, um, Ocean Casino, which is where I am staying now. And also, uh, last night we were at the Caesars Palace, but at the Wild Wild West Casino. Um, all fun times, great amount of content, hours and hours of content. Uh, so it's, it's been fun here this weekend uh, down in the AC. Beautiful. I wish I could show you guys my, my view is of the ocean. So it's just a beautiful day uh, to start the morning. My last day here to start uh, you know, the, the morning. Nice, Emery. Nice. I love it. Um, all right. So what is your first scouting takeaway from last night? Investing in depth along the offensive line is huge and paramount. Not only just depth there, because you could just grab guys for the sake of grabbing guys, but the value of versatility within that depth. Um, yeah, I've been a long-time proponent of if you make the NFL roster, you should be eligible to play. It's not like they hurt for money to not have you out there on the active roster. I hate that they, okay, you made the 53, but we had this practice squad, and also we have this game day roster. No, if you own the team, you own the team. I need you to be out there because we know it's a war of attrition. And we saw last night how critical it was for Kansas City, um, especially up front, just to not have enough guys that could help them out uh, along the offensive line. Yeah, and in fairness to them, when you think about your right guard, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, opts out before the year because of COVID. You can't really – that's like an anomaly, right? Right. Their third-round pick, Lucas Niang. People forget this. Their third-round pick, Lucas Niang from TCU opted out too. So that's two of their top eight guys that opted out, let's say. Certainly top nine. Then your left guard, Kaleche Osemele, gets hurt. Your right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, gets hurt. And then in the AFC Championship game, your left tackle, Eric Fisher, gets hurt. And I am convinced, Emery, convinced, okay, that teams that go to the Super Bowl or have extended playoff runs, they suffer more injuries the next year. Think about the Niners this year. All the injuries the Niners had. You go out and you play three or four more playoff games. It's just your season was longer. Your offseason recovery was shorter. And that's going to catch up to you. For the Chiefs to have three O-linemen suffer season-ending injuries. And then two opt-out. Five. Five. And I actually give them credit 
for having a guy like Mike Remmers, for even signing Daniel Kilgore to be the next guy in if they needed him last night, for having a guy like Stefan Wisniewski. You know, they actually had Emery competent guys, I would say. You know, guys that can get the job done. And they did against, you know, in a lot of the playoff games, you know, and they did against in the in the end of the AFC Championship game. I think that leads to one of my big takeaways, which is that coaching really matters a lot. Because certainly, Emery, what you're saying about offensive line, I agree with. But, dude, they, they were down five guys. So they're, they're into their six. I mean, I'm not sure many teams, okay, would have been able to fare much better if you're down five of your top eight guys on the O-line. I put a lot of it, I got to tell you, Emery, on Andy Reid. Do you know they went essentially empty or five-man protection? which means no running back helping, no tight end in helping. 48 of the 52 snaps last night, 92% was straight five-man protection, leaving those guys on an island. I mean, those guys, a lot of those guys, Emery, are quite frankly, they're like Ross Tuckers, okay? Where if you help them, they'll be fine. But if you leave them on an island... They're not going to be able to hold up. That was me. And that's what he did to them last night. So it's funny that one of yours is invest in the O-line because I wrote down coaching matters a lot. I think Veach did a decent job investing in the O-line, but to have five guys, that's crazy. I think Andy Reid and the coaching staff let those guys down last night. You know what it reminded me of, too, watching it play out now that you brought it up? how irritating it or aggravating it is um, to watch an air raid offense. You know, it's like, my goodness, you know, these quarterbacks are, are taking a beating and you're not willing to keep a tight end in or a fullback in the block. Um, and, and this is in regards to the pro game. So I'm going back to the Oilers, going back to what we saw with Spurrier. Um, you know, sometimes you have to be willing to get out of your own way and think personnel and not scheme. Personnel could have helped them out, and scheme could have helped them out last night And, and if they were working in unison like you talked about. Because once you saw you see it a lot with the um, with a back. If a back blows a blitz pickup assignment, guess what? They get another back in there to help out the quarterback. Or if the quarterback is not the most mobile, they'll keep a back riding side car. They'll keep that tight end attached to the offensive line. So he'll have you know, six or even seven-man protection, um, and they'll keep the routes in the simple, in a in a way to where he can get the football out quickly to help give that protection some confidence or him give him confidence in that protection because we saw what happened when that wasn't the case. Pat Mahomes, even when he had good protection, he vacated the pocket because he was already now, you know, he had Stockholm Syndrome. That, oh, this is, you know, something that's going to happen. Uh, regardless, I better get out of here, even though he hags a protection. So it's funny that you mentioned Spurrier, Emery, because after my rookie year with Marty Schottenheimer, he told me, I can I can see you starting next year at left guard. I was like, okay, sweet. Um, then Spurrier, then Schottenheimer gets fired, Spurrier comes in, and even in the preseason, Emery, 
We went scat protection, empty set, scat protection <laughs> all the time. And here's the thing. None of us were really holding up. Like John Jansen was giving up pressures and sacks. Chris Samuels was. But those guys had already established themselves the two or three years prior as being good players, as being starters and good starters. So even though they were getting beat, the coaches were like, well, they're good. We've seen them the last couple of years. I was the new guy. Those preseason starts, Emory, that was my first time ever playing. Mm-hmm. And like Warren Sapp beat me for a pressure. Like, no kidding. You know what I mean? Um, at the Patriots, I can't remember who it was, but they beat me for a pressure when they moved me from right to left. So I'm convinced that if Schottenheimer had stayed for five years, I think I would have started. Like, I, I think that offense was perfect for me. But Spurrier didn't know what he was doing, and it's it's unfortunate. It, it really is. Um, all right. My first takeaway and this is a big one, Emery, because there are a lot of teams that feel differently than this. I think linebackers, second-level linebackers, are more important than, than other teams do. Run and hit linebackers. Devin White and Levante David were awesome last night. Awesome. Like, you cannot tell me, having run and hit linebackers that can blitz, cover, chase things down. I mean, you cannot tell me that they don't make a difference between winning and losing. I know there are teams out there, Emery, that think you can have anybody at linebacker. D-line's more important. Secondary is more important. And you know what? Maybe they are more important. I don't know. But holy crap, Emery. Like, you cannot tell me that having guys like Levante and Devin White I mean, Devin Wood could have been the MVP of the game. You you can't tell me having guys like that run and hit linebackers that can really play in space. Levante David was all over Travis Kelsey that they can't be huge difference makers. Bro, you know what's outstanding about that point is because when you watch defenses play and they have two impact players at linebacker, it shows. And I can just rattle off. Remember, Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis. Let's go Erlocker, Briggs. Let's go back even further. Sam Mills, Vaughn Johnson. Let's go to what we saw, you know, last night. Even with some of the more contemporary Ravens uh, teams, you saw with, with um, uh, Ray Lewis and uh, – now I'm drawing a blank. But no, yeah. he's had a bunch of them next to him, like Edgerton, Hartwell, Bart Hartwell. Scott, you know. Exactly. So it's like you, you know, you you remember those Gary Reasons, Carl Banks. So you remember these guys when you have two sets of backers, um, because you're right. A lot of the NFL game um, happens in the intermediate area of the field. So people think in terms of the deep passing game, nah, it's all about between 12, 10 to 12 yards. If you can have guys that can help you compete there, i.e. linebackers that can run, chase, and cover, it's going to help you out. And with White, what people always undersold about White, White came into LSU as a, as a running back. So then he moved to linebacker. And when you already have the offensive background, now you're playing on the other side of the ball, your anticipation is going to be phenomenal. Um, and you combine that with the athleticism that he has, he's going to be a monster, which he has been. And, you know, the same thing in the secondary, when you have usually receivers moving a corner, 
or vice versa, you have the knowledge of the other side of the ball. Usually we see quarterbacks go to safety. Same rules apply there. So it's just uh, – I'm with you. And so when people say, oh, well, certain teams don't need a linebacker, like, no, yes, you do. Even go back to some of those Philly defenses, you know, Trotter and company. Um, going back even further with, you know, uh, um, Seth Joyner and, and Byron Evans, you know, you know, Jesse Small and all those guys, like Jesse Small is a safety, I believe. Um, but you need you need good – if you got two good linebackers, you're, you're going to be good. And Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis would be the – two that instantly come to mind when I see, think of what I saw last night with White and David. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because you say um, invest in the trenches on offense of line. I I mean, D-line, bro. I say it all the time. After quarterback, I think D-line is the second most important position. You know, the D-line for the Bucks dominated. They, they, they were awesome. And you need you need to bring them in waves. You need to bring second string guys. That is the position where you need to really invest. Shaq Barrett, JPP, even Sue and Vita Vea, even Golston was making plays. Like that is another my, my other big takeaway. I think the other two that aren't as big, Emery, for me would just be D lines dominate when it comes to games like that. And then you either have a quarterback that elevates the people around him. Or you don't. And I don't know if it's magic pixie dust or what. I said this on the Ross Tucker football podcast, but you can't argue that Brady doesn't elevate the people around him, period. And you know what it is? And I always say this when in terms of coaching, because that's my second takeaway as well, is that coaching really matters more so in the NFL than it does in college. College, you can win with talent. NFL, you really need coaching because everybody's talented. But in terms of the quarterback elevating his play, people – Think in terms of that statement and think uh, nobody can make him better. That's not the. That's not what you're saying. That's not what the statement is saying. The statement is if I see the person that's supposed to be the leader, whether that's the coach or the quarterback, calm, composed, confident in a stressful situation, I don't want to let that person down. I want to you know play my best because this person is showing that he has control. He has the ability to play his best in a crucial situation. So it doesn't matter the talent level of the person, i.e., you can see a, a person like Tom Brady uh, play that way and everybody around him plays better. We saw it with Pat Mahomes, you know, obviously. And even on the talent level side of, of things on the other end of the spectrum, you saw it from a guy like Tim Tebow. He may not have been the most physically talented, but you trust that he could be confident. You know what? I'm going to try to do my best to help him out because I like how he's leading. And so that's why when you see a coach on the sideline calm, composed, and, you know, in, in control in a stressful game and not flipping out on the sideline, your players will reflect that as well. And it's the same thing with the quarterback position. Um, any other take? Th- those are all mine, Emory. Do you have any others, or are you ready to dive into your process? We can dive into the process. That's, that's pretty much was, um, what was my coaching matters, uh, the, the, uh, more so in the NFL than it does in college and investing in the offensive line, because you do see people tend to have this, like when we talk about the draft, right, everyone always talks about, um, you know, skill players uh, because it's the fun, easy, identifiable thing to talk about. But we both know, I know I need you to help me do my job as a running back, and you know how critical it is. I mean, anytime you have that many guys dedicated to a position, that tells you the, the importance. You don't go out there with just one O lineman. 
you know, you can go out there with one back, one quarterback. You know, uh, you can't go out there with one old lineman. You need five of those dudes. You need five of those dudes to be all on the same page. Think about the level of significance that is, and to to not really think that's a, a crucial part of team building or football building, you, you're sadly mistaken. By the way, Emery, before we get into your your process, my dudes over at DraftKings, awesome. They know football's over, and people are like, ah, oh, football's over. They still have so many great odds, basketball, hockey, UFC 258. I know you're an NBA guy. You'll love this. They, they got, if you use the promo code Ross, they got to hammer the over promo for Sunday night's uh, Nuggets-Lakers game. For every 1,000 people that bet the over in Sunday's game, the line will go down by a point. The total will go down by a point. So think about that. A bunch of people are going to hit the over. It's going to keep going down, 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 and everybody's going to win, which is glorious. Just make sure you use the code Ross when you do that, which I absolutely love. It's called the hammer the over. Absolutely love that. Also love hearing, Emery, about your process. Here's what I love. I already know how we're going to break it down starting next week. We've got his top player at the position, his biggest surprise at the position, his top small school guy, the guy with the biggest upside, and under the radar prospect he likes. Love your categories, bro. I love your categories. But let's start with this. Like, What what do you really do, Emery, to even get to the point where you're able to grade these guys? Like, How do you get the footage, and how much do you watch of a guy, and sort of what do you write down that's a great question because let's let's start let's look at it from the prism of a normal college football season not a COVID season so you know I'm always out and about as far as scouting talent at games or at games that I'm broadcasting so I'm seeing a lot live and I'm taking my notes in live settings now during the week I also have a college football preview show so when I while I'm doing that I'm watching film uh, in, in terms of, you know, what happened uh, this past week to prepare for the upcoming week. But in the off season is where I also go around and visit college campuses to interview coaches, check out some spring practices, get a good feel for players uh, that are developing, um, coming into the, to the system. So I have a good, uh, you know, wealth of information and names in the database already that I'm tracking every season. That's the beauty about college football is that, you see these guys coming in as freshmen, and every year you see the development and see guys work up the depth chart and things of that nature. So I already have a good wealth of names that I'm working throughout the, the seasons and off season. But when it comes to draft, now you're looking at mostly the seniors. And you know, I'm I'm never the type to just quickly evaluate juniors because I think they may come out. No, let's focus on the senior class first and then move on to guys that may declare. Uh like say for instance, if this was a normal year. I would have already started grading Trevor Lawrence because I knew he was more than likely to come out because he's such a top prospect. So I don't waste time on guys that will more than likely go back to school. Uh, but you 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 have your names, then you reach out to programs, you get film, you you, you know the all twenty two, um, and then you start your process that way. And so for me, I always focus on three games uh, because I'm in the media. I don't have to uh, you know do all of the different tests that real NFL scouts do so I can keep my job simply based to the media side. Plus, I feel like in three games, 
after three games, you, you're seeing what you want to see anyway. So if you want to see if a guy is, is great, you're going to find a way to justify that by watching more games. So three games, you get a really good idea. And out of the three games, I take, I take his best game, his worst game, and the game that has the best matchup. So let's say if I'm scouting Ross Tucker, I'll take the game where you just dominated someone. I'll take a game that you got, you know, you got blown up, you know, and um, and I'll take a game, oh, he played Warren Sapp this week. Let me focus on this one, see how he did against a good competition, um, a good competitor. So that's my initial process. And then we just go through positions that I'm not one of these guys that bounce around. I'll, if I'm grading quarterbacks, I'll grade quarterbacks until I'm done because you want to grade a position to where you start to see things consistently. Because if you jump around from positions, you're not really getting a good lockstep on. Because once, like, I'm grading through quarterbacks, and that's how I'm able to get through so many prospects at a position because once you're rolling on what you're looking for because you're only focused on that position, you're, you're seeing things faster, you know. So it's, it's not like you're plowing through it. You're just – your eye is just trained to, to see the consistent things that you're looking for. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I like the three games thing. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. Best, worst, and best matchup. I like that. And then um, I think it makes perfect sense to watch positions because then it's like you can compare the guy to the guy you just watched and the guy after him, right? Like, Because otherwise, if you do uh, a couple guys and you switch different positions, by the time you come back to quarterback, let's just say, it's not as fresh in your mind about, mm-hmm. you know, what the other guys are like. I know uh, college coaches do that when they're looking at positions, right? It's like, are we going to offer this guy? Well, let's watch eight O-linemen and let's see which two O-linemen we like the most that we're going to offer. And if you watch them right, you can tell this guy's better here, that guy's better there, et cetera. Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the key because now you know, let's say you go from watching – uh, someone like Kellen Mond throw the football, and then you go watch Michael Carter run the football, and then you come back and watch, you know, Trevor Lawrence throw the football. Well, now you lost that gauge of true arm strength, right? But if you watch them back to back, you like, all right. Even though Mond may have the strongest arm, Lawrence isn't that far off, you know, because I've seen it side by side, and that's exactly how you have to go about it. Even from, let's say, from an offensive lineman standpoint, when, you know, one of the things I truly focus on is technique for an offensive lineman. Because if you have that coming into the league, man, you're already ahead of the game. And so to see guys that have that polish next to someone that you could say, okay, this guy has tools, but he's he's raw as far as technique. If you space that out, you lose that concept of, of what you're looking for and why you're looking for it. You know, starting next week, we're going to get into position breakdowns with Emery. If you ever have specific players you want to get Emery's thoughts on, obviously you need to get the footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. But if you want to hear him talk about the guy a little bit more in depth, email us, ross at rosstucker.com. And if you have questions about Emery's scouting process, I've told you guys this before, I'll say it again. Emery is everywhere. It is uncanny. How many times I've done a game like Patriot League, Ivy League, it doesn't matter. Friday night, Saturday, Emery is there. Somehow he goes to like five games on Saturdays. I don't know how he does that, but it is remarkable. Check him out on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. 
Get the game, get the draft guide, footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. Get your questions in regarding specific prospects and the process. And we will begin the process of going position by position exactly one week from now. Other than that, the keg is kicked. We are all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and the Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.